Wow. Well, I am so excited to be here with you today, and I've so, in, I've so enjoyed over this last month hearing everybody's stories. And uh, it is just cool. It never gets old, does it? Hearing about how somebody met Jesus and what he does in their life. And throughout this series, we've heard a lot of different examples of that. You know, we heard about Zacchaeus, and we heard about blind Bartimaeus, and we heard about the man at the pool of Bethesda, and all of them were completely different, just like all the stories of the people that we've heard uh, from our church over the past few weeks. But today we're going to talk about one of the most famous encounters with Jesus. And this passage contains John 3.16. You know, people that don't even go to church, people that that maybe um, haven't been to church in years, probably heard John 3.16 at some point in their life. Maybe they got bused to a vacation Bible school when they were a kid, and that's all they remember. Maybe they saw it on a t-shirt. Maybe they saw it on a bumper sticker. But the most, probably the most famous verse in the Bible is this verse, John 3.16. And so today we're going to dive into the life of the person to whom that verse was initially spoken. You know, this month we've seen notorious people meet Jesus. We've seen unknown people meet Jesus. And now we get to see who in his time and in his day was actually a famous person meet Jesus. Now, these were pre-paparazzi days, you know, so even though Nicodemus, uh, he was very well known, um, we could consider him famous among the Jews, you know, people probably weren't chasing him around and posting on Instagram. And so the only way that he could get this, this private time with Jesus would be to go out after dark. But there was no Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook following his every move. And so in John chapter 3, if you want to grab your notes on your, the half sheet on your seat or open up the app, the Mosaic Church app, you can follow along there as well. But our story starts in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. And it says, there was a man named Nicodemus. Now, I want to encourage you today as we go through this to maybe just put your name there. There was a man named Joe. Right? That's my name. In case we haven't met, nice to meet you. But what is going to be said of you? What's the story of your life going to be? So it goes on to say that Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So what would be said of you? You know, the the scholars tell us that, that Nicodemus was a ruler or an archon or an archon of the Jews. This means that he was probably a senator or a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. He was also a Pharisee. And so this guy had clout. This guy was somebody that was voted for, that was was propped up. Everyone knew him. He was a religious leader. But as you'll see through this, that really wasn't that important to Jesus. Those were just his earthly labels. And so I want want you to think about that today. What might people say about you? Well, this is so-and-so, and and they work for such-and-such company. Or this is so-and-so, and and this was their title. So after dark one evening, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He came to speak with him. Rabbi, he said, we all know. Now, who is we all know? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees, these religious leaders, right? We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. 
And so Nicodemus makes this statement that really tells us that he was searching. His interest was piqued. There was something about Jesus. And you might be here today and, and you're in that same boat. You know there's something about him. You know there's something more out there. You know there's more something more than just the routine, mundane things of life. But I don't know about you. I'm only going out after dark for things that are really interesting to me. I'm getting to that age where it's like nine o'clock hits and my eyelids start to close and, and my body starts to shut down and, and I start kind of mumbling and I don't really make sense. And if you ask me a question, I, you, just, you usually just say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, and next thing you know, I'm asleep. Can I get an amen? And so Nicodemus, he must be really peaked. Because the only things that I go out for after dark is usually ice cream because I live so, you, so close to UDF and that's the time when that craving kind of hits and it's like, oh, I'm gonna jump in the car and fly over to UDF and get me some cherry cordial. Come on now. Or maybe a good friend if they're really in trouble and hey, hey, I'll go out for a good friend and, and you know, if there's a purpose behind it. But other than that, man, I'm, I'm home, I'm in my PJs, I'm, I'm in my comfy place, I'm not going out after dark. And so think about this. He knows there's something about Jesus. And so he's searching and he's searching at night. And I think that's a, a huge correlation for us because, man, we search for the things that are closest to our hearts at night. We either escape into a show or a book or we get on our phone and we fall into the black hole that is Facebook and, and we can never hit the bottom. Isn't that weird? You just keep scrolling, but it, it never stops. You can never find the end. But what do you search for at night? What are the questions that nag your heart? Maybe it's WebMD. Uh-oh. Maybe it's the meaning of life. You're like, maybe you've even put that in Google before. What's this all about? Maybe, maybe you're looking for an eHarmony or Match.com. Maybe you're feeling a little emotionally unstable. And, and so you're, you're Googling it. What do I do when I feel this way? What do I do with these feelings? Maybe you're Googling, you know, my marriage is broken. What do I do? And, but when nobody's around and, and you're in private in the quiet of your own bedroom and maybe the lights are even off and it's just the glow of that dumb little screen, what are the questions that are on your mind? You see... Nicodemus was in the same place. He was searching. He knew something was there and he couldn't find it. But he hasn't made the jump yet that Jesus is the Christ and everything happens through him. He didn't understand who he was really talking to. He had a hunch. He's like, I know you're probably from God, but there was still this nagging. And so in essence, he didn't come out and say it. He didn't like just get to the point. But in essence, Nicodemus was asking, who are you? The miracles show that God is with you, but are you really claiming to be the Messiah? Are you really claiming to be the Son of God? Are you truthfully, in all honesty, is that who you really say you are? You know, many people think that Jesus has something to offer. Many people think he was a good man. Maybe think, you know, it was a good, the Bible's a good historical book. You know, people think all kinds of things. But I want to challenge you. What you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. It's not what you look like. It's not how much money you make. It's not where you live. It's not what kind of car you drive. 
It's not what others think. What you think about Jesus is the deciding factor of your life. Nothing on planet Earth in, your, in all of your existence will ever matter more than who you say Jesus is. If Jesus didn't claim to be God, he'd be way less controversial. Nicodemus would not have been showing up in the middle of the night to talk to him. And I think it's so cool that Jesus knew that Nicodemus was scared to be seen with him. And yet he still met with him. Jesus obviously had a come as you are, whenever you want kind of attitude. Now, I'm not Jesus. And so um, most of the time, unless it's really, really important, I'm not going to meet with you in the middle of the night. I love you. I'm your pastor. um, And God needs to give me more compassion sometimes. But after I'm asleep, don't wake me up. Right? But obviously Jesus didn't have that attitude. He's like, hey, whatever it takes. And so let's look at what happened when Nicodemus met Jesus and how it applies to you and me today. So number one, fill in the blanks. Meeting Jesus challenges our worldview and our perspective. Meeting Jesus challenges your perspective. Everything you think about the world and everything that you think about life, Jesus is gonna challenge it. And so in this moment, Jesus literally blows up Nicodemus's world. Remember, this is the religious leader, Nicodemus. And so maybe some of you that have been coming to church your whole life, and, and maybe, you, maybe you grew up in a different type of church, and you think you know about God, and you think you know about who Jesus is, maybe just be open to the fact that if, if Jesus blew Nicodemus's world up, he might still have something new for you too. And so this is for everyone today. Some of you might have checked out as soon as I said John 3.16. You're like, oh, I've heard this one before. But meeting Jesus not only changes, but continues to change our perspective and our worldview the longer we know him. And so Jesus replied to Nicodemus, and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Underline, cannot see. We'll get back to that in a minute. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, in doing some reading on this, um, you know, Nicodemus, he was not actually asking that. He was basically stating the preposterous to pull out of Jesus what Jesus really meant. And this was pretty common in that culture. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There's a lot to unpack there. But suffice it to say, Nicodemus didn't get it. And he had been going to church his whole life. Nicodemus' question was about Jesus. But Jesus' response was about Nicodemus. So get this. Nicodemus shows up in the middle of the night. He's like, who are you? What's up with the miracles? Obviously, God is with you. And And Nicodemus wants to know who Jesus is. 
And Jesus doesn't respond and say, well, this is who I am, and this is where I came from, and this is, this, here's the skinny. No, Jesus doesn't respond with an answer. Jesus responds with a statement. Nicodemus's question was about Jesus. Jesus's response was about Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. So Jesus's glory and who he is and what he can do, it stands on its own. But his purpose was obviously bigger than that. It was our salvation. So it's impossible, you know, from this encounter we see and all the other encounters that we've seen throughout the past few weeks, it's impossible to encounter Jesus without being personally challenged. The man last week, he was told to go and sin no more, right? The man the previous week, he left his coat and left everything and he got up and he walked down the road and he followed Jesus. There's a cost. Zacchaeus, what did he do? He gave back all the money that he had stolen and, and even more. He was willing to do anything to follow Jesus. And so right off the bat, this guy asked Jesus who he is and Jesus is like, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus was looking for understanding. And you might be there. I just want to understand. I want to know before I take the leap, before I really dive in, before I believe, I really want to know all the answers. But Nicodemus was looking for understanding, but Jesus led him towards surrender. Jesus led him towards being all in. He led him towards something that he couldn't even understand at the moment. This is huge. Remember, Jesus didn't answer him directly. He saw into the empty, searching heart of Nicodemus, and he saw the honesty of his question. So he went right to the heart of the matter. He didn't mince words. He didn't waste time. He didn't answer questions that, that Nicodemus really wasn't asking. He knew exactly what Nicodemus needed, and Nicodemus needed to believe. He needed to surrender. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see. Think about that. It was like, step one, be born again. Step two, understand. It was as if being born again was a door that he had to pass through as a prerequisite. It was a requirement to even being able to understand the whole picture. Why? Because meeting Jesus' challenges and changes your perspective. You see, we usually have things holding us back from total engagement, and Nicodemus obviously did. You know, we usually have things holding us back from being totally surrendered to God. We've got these preconceived notions. We've got these presuppositions. We think church is just for judgy people. We think church is out for out-of-touch people. We think that God is mad at me and the building's gonna fall down on me if I walk in. We think that God can't save someone like me or that I can never measure up or that I'll never be what he needs me to be. And that we've got to get our act together before we come and meet with Jesus. Sometimes we get this preconceived notion that Jesus or God or church is just an add-on to our life. It's just something that kind of helps us along. And man, none of that could be further from the truth. You see, it's one thing to think that Jesus has something to offer, that he might be from God or he might be a good teacher, which was kind of the, the line of statement that Nicodemus had. It's one thing to think that Jesus is just kind of good. It's a whole other thing to do what Jesus said and to be born again, to be completely transformed, to be totally changed, to be surrendered, to have this new state of being, to be born again. 
You see, there will be things that you and I don't understand or even be able to see until after you undergo a complete and total transformation. And some of you think, man, that's backwards. I gotta know what I'm getting myself into. I've gotta read the fine print. I've gotta look at the whole contract, right? Never mind that most of you, and you know you're guilty, you just scroll to the bottom and hit check yes. How many, how many of you do that? I've done that about a gazillion times. Some of you are in finance and baking industry and at closing, who reads all those papers, right? Who does that? It's just like, show me where to initial. Check, 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 check. And if you do work in the baking industry and somebody wants to read them all, you're like, ah, stab my eye out with a spoon, right? Who does that? But before giving our life to Jesus, we're gonna like, I wanna know, I wanna, I wanna know everything. And I'm not saying that asking questions is bad. Obviously, Jesus honored Nicodemus's questioning heart. But Jesus' statement doesn't mince words. Unless you're born again, you can't see. And so Jesus isn't talking about a slightly better version of the old you. He's talking about a new creation, being born again. He's talking about a second chance. He's saying that you can be something that you're currently not. And this is why it's called faith, because you can't see it yet. And we see that he, he's calling Nicodemus to obey before he understands. Jesus then goes on of, uh, about, you know, spiritual life being different than physical life and, and you know, the, the wind blowing. And it's like, man, Jesus, what are you talking about? And from that, we can just learn that the wisdom of heaven is different than the wisdom of earth. Because in our human carnal minds, we know that it's impossible to completely start over. It's impossible to have a second chance. You know, me? How's that gonna be possible for me to start over? Jesus says, where does the wind come from? Where does it go? Where does it begin? You know, we just don't know. And just, just because you tell me where the wind comes from doesn't mean that I understand it. I actually looked it up, right? You know, like, where does the wind come from? I literally Googled it. And so Google tells us, you know, that the sun it unevenly heats the earth and it causes pressure and, and it pushes air this way and that way and it causes the wind. And guess what? Even though I read about it and I can kind of sort of explain it to you, guess what? I still have no idea. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But guess what? I don't have to be a scientist or get it to understand that the wind is real. It's real. Jesus is real. And he wants to change your worldview and your perspective. <clears throat> and so the path forward isn't understanding, it's transformation. <clears throat> Nicodemus came to get his question answered. Jesus said, you gotta be born again. Born again. And God is able Yes, even for you, even where you've been, even what you've done, you can lay it at the feet of Jesus today and be born again because that's what happens when you meet Jesus. Number two, meeting Jesus brings us to a place of decision. It brings us to a place of decision. So Nicodemus, he's completely baffled. He doesn't get it, just like you and me, a lot of times you don't get it, but he's still intrigued and he's thinking, how can this happen? And so let's keep reading. Nicodemus asked, how are these things possible? 
Jesus replied, and you can almost hear like a little snarkiness in Jesus' voice. He says, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? So no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, which is Jesus, has come down from heaven. Side note, Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm trying to put this in language that you understand and you don't get it. But if, I, if you don't even understand it when I put it in earthly language, how are you going to take the leap to understand it if, if I'm talking about things that really are crazy, like God coming down to earth? And so he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the sun must be lifted up. So the sun must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And here, the, here the, the gavel is dropping, right? John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, underline that, believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Amen. A lot of things going on there. But let me just wrap it up to say that Nicodemus asks this huge question, how are these things possible? And Jesus does his best to explain it to Nicodemus in a language that Nicodemus would understand. You might hear bronze snake, wilderness, Moses, what in the world, that doesn't make any sense to me. But what Jesus was doing was trying to, to reach Nicodemus's heart with language that Nicodemus would understand. Because Nicodemus knew the story of Moses in the Old Testament and what happened there. So Jesus, in this moment, he's speaking to both Nicodemus and at the same time, he's speaking to the whole world in this moment, foreshadowing his death on the cross. And so in a nutshell, he's saying, how do I be born again? Believe. It all comes down to that. Believe what? Believe that God loves me, that God sent his son Jesus to save me. Believe that he died on the cross. Believe that he paid for my sins so I don't have to. And without Jesus, I won't spend eternal life with God. So that's the gist of it. But you might be saying, what's up with the bronze snake in the wilderness? Once again, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in a language he would understand. Because in the Old Testament, in Numbers 21.4, the people had grown impatient. They were on a long journey in the desert. And they begin to speak out against God and Moses. Just like you and me going through life, we get impatient. God didn't show up for me when he, I thought he would. Things haven't turned out how I thought. And so they're getting impatient. At this point in their journey, the Israelites had been delivered from Egypt. Um, they had seen all the plagues that God, God brought down on Egypt, all these miracles. The Red Sea had parted in two. All this crazy stuff had happened, and they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe that Jesus, that God was who he said he was, and that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Their deliverer, Moses had already come. Nicodemus, his deliverer, was standing right in front of him. But because of the Israelites' hard hearts and rebellion, God sent snakes 
and they bit the Israelites. This is like the creepiest like Indiana Jones ever. It's like you could just imagine snakes everywhere and Indiana Jones is freaking out, but these are poisonous ones and they're biting them. And it's like, this is nuts, right? It's one of those Old Testament stories that you're just like, whoa. Did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. So a lot of Israelites died. And what happened? Moses prays for the Israelites. Guess who prays for you day and night? Jesus. The Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding on your behalf. And so Moses prays for the Israelites. God tells Moses, hey, make this bronze snake. Put it on a pole. Put it up. Tell all the people to look at it. And when they look at the bronze snake on the pole, they'll be healed. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And so in Nicodemus's vernacular, Jesus was speaking his language. And he's saying, hey, don't let your heart be hard. Look, I'm right here in front of you. I've been here all along. The parallel for us today is that when you're dead in your sin, when you're dead in your bad choices, when you're dead in your rebellion against God, you look to Jesus and you'll be saved. When you're searching for life's answers all night long on Google, when you're in this long journey and you're getting impatient with God and you just don't understand, you gotta look to Jesus. You gotta remember that he came, he died, he rose again to save you. But so much of us, even some of us church people, we're still looking to power and prestige and pleasure for the answers. And so in the 21st century, 2022, can you even imagine? The question is still the same. Will you look to Jesus? Will you really believe what he says? Number three, meeting Jesus clarifies what's really important. Meeting Jesus clarifies what's really important. So Jesus continues, he says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. For those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. I love this. Jesus just says, hey, this is what it's all about. We're all gonna face judgment. And the key factor is, do you believe? Do you believe? You see, judgment is a way to boil our lives down to one moment. You think about a courtroom, it all boils down, all the talking and talking and talking and testimonies and everything, it all boils down to that moment of the verdict where the gavel comes down and it's like guilty or not guilty. And it's like that moment of suspense, right? I grew up on Matlock, anybody else? My mom loved that show. And so a lot of times I'd be parked next to my mom on the couch watching Matlock. And over and over and over, it's like that, that verdict and Matlock would just bring the argument and ah, and, and, oh, it would all come to that moment. But for you and for me, this just says, hey, you gotta live with the end in mind. That that moment is gonna come. And whether or not you put your trust fully in Christ is all that matters. Jesus said he came to bring us life to the full, life abundantly. But it's impossible to live that way without an eternal perspective. 
You know, he wants us to have life to the full now and then. If you're just full now, but you're empty then, or you know, you're, you're, you're on the wrong side then, you lose. You lose. And so what's the deciding factor here? It's belief. And Jesus continues to unpack it in that passage, basically saying that true belief translates to action. The action isn't what saved you. You're not saved by your works, but it shows what you really believe. Because belief is always played out in your actions. Number four, let's wrap it up today. The last thing that we see from the life of Nicodemus is that meeting Jesus is a journey. Meeting Jesus is a journey. So guess what the very next verse says after Jesus downloads all of this material to Nicodemus? It says, then Jesus left. Remember last week, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, and then what did he do? He disappeared. And then he shows up at church, you know, I don't know if it was a day later, hours later, or when, when it was, but he shows up and follows up on that guy and tells him, hey, quit sinning. And so, in the, kind of the same fashion, Jesus has this conversation. The next thing we know, Jesus is gone. He goes, continues throughout his ministry, and here's Nicodemus to wrestle with these questions. The story ends, and we don't really get constant updates on Nicodemus, but Nicodemus does show up again in the book of John. He shows up in the, in the Jesus story a couple more times which is really what it's all about. You see, because when I met Jesus is way less about us and way more about Jesus. I love what Mike said in his story. It's like, hey, I told him, I'm telling you about me, but it's really all about Jesus. And this is what you and me got to get. This is one of those perspective changes. When we're born again, when we step into the life that is really life, the life that God's called us to, our life ceases to be about us. And it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Are we going to show up in his story? And the cool thing is Nicodemus did. He showed up in Jesus' story a couple more times. And God invites you to show up in his story as well. So in John chapter seven, a couple chapters later, you know, four chapters later, Jesus had claimed to be the living water. He had very publicly said that he was God. And this obviously causes a big ruckus because there's people that thought he was really God and then there was people that didn't. And so Jesus claims to be God and the Pharisees get all like out of whack and they're arguing about it and, and they're like, man, we gotta, we gotta stone this guy, we gotta kill this guy. He's blaspheming. And Nicodemus in a roundabout way defends Jesus. So in, in chapter seven, verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier back in John chapter three, and who was one of their own number, the Pharisees, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And so here we see that Nicodemus's heart is still open. <clears throat> he maybe hasn't found all the answers. <clears throat> he maybe hasn't left this group of religionists that, that are just stuck in their old ways. He maybe hasn't like, like just gone all in yet, but he's still asking questions. And I love that, love it. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, guess what, keep coming. Keep kicking the tires, keep asking questions. Keep seeking Jesus. He, 
and guess what happens after Nicodemus said that? He gets ridiculed. And they're like, what are you from Galilee too? He catches some flack for being open to the notion that Jesus is real. And then in John chapter 19, verses 38 and 39, a lot has happened. Jesus died on the cross. He died for you and for me. And guess who shows up? All of the disciples ran, except John. John was the only one there in front of the cross watching Jesus die. They all left. All of his crew that had been running around with him for the, the previous three and a half years, gone. Jesus dies, they take his body down off the cross. And it says later, Joseph of Arimathea, never heard of him before in the gospels, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away and he was accompanied by no less than Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. You can't help but wonder and just imagine if Joseph and Nicodemus were maybe, maybe there was this group of, of secret underground Christ followers, right? And that sounds kind of cool, and, and, but this doesn't change the goal. You know, the fact that they were still searching and trying to figure it out, and maybe still a little timid and still afraid, that still, this doesn't mean that the goal had changed, that Jesus wanted them to be born again and not to be ashamed, right? We know Jesus wants us to be born again, he wants to be a new creation, and he wants us to be not ashamed of him. That's very clear in scripture. But Jesus and meeting him is a journey. And so if you're on that journey today, and maybe you're just not there yet, man, I wanna encourage you with all my heart, keep going, keep going, keep going. Because Nicodemus, he shows up and he does this act of worship and he, he brings all this stuff for Jesus and helps to bury Jesus. And he's there for Jesus in a time when no one else was. And I just think that's so cool. I think that's amazing. And what that tells me and what that should tell you is that there's hope for you too. There's hope for me. That when I'm stubborn and when I don't understand, hey, I can still bring my gift and I can still seek Jesus and I can try to get close to him, right? Now that doesn't change the fact that Jesus said, hey, you gotta be born again. Hey, it's time to surrender. It's time to maybe trust before you understand, but if it takes you a while to get there, the Bible says God's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And so the door is wide open for you too. The question is, as we wrap up this series, how will you meet Jesus? How's it gonna happen? And guess what? You don't have to wait. You don't have to journey on and on and on and keep asking questions. You can trust him today. You can trust him. He loves you more than you'll ever imagine, more than you can ever comprehend. And a lot of it you won't understand or comprehend until you're born again. Until you take the leap. Until you say, Jesus, here I am. All my life, all my imperfections, everything that I am, I give it to you. I wanna be a new creation. I wanna to totally surrender. And so if you could bow your heads and close your eyes today,
where are you at? Is it time for you to meet Jesus? If you're here today and you say, Joe, that's me. I'm ready to, to surrender my life. I'm ready to be born again, just like Jesus was talking about. I'm ready to go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. I wanna invite Jesus to be Lord of my life. And, and that means I'm believing that he died on the cross for me and that he rose again from the dead. And I'm gonna trust him with my life. If that's you, I want you to boldly lift your hand today. Boldly say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Today is my day that I meet Jesus. Amen. Just another moment. Anyone that would say, it's time for me to meet Jesus. If you're online with us today, first of all, thanks so much. But you're sitting in your living room. Hey, raise your hand. Say, that's me. God sees you. You don't have to be in church to meet Jesus. Right now in your living room, where you're at, in your car, wherever you are at, you can meet Jesus. Jesus came to see Nicodemus in the middle of the night. He can come to see you right now too. Amen. If you raised your hand today, whether here in the building or at home, I encourage you to just pray a simple prayer of surrender and it can sound like this. You can say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again. I believe you're really the son of God and I want to trust you with my life. Help me from this day forward to live for you, for you to be my all in all, my everything. I surrender. Amen. If you decided to follow Jesus today, I want to just encourage you. We've got a Bible in the lobby for you if you don't have one. And so you can take your Connect card to that Welcome Center and say, hey, Joe talked about a free Bible. I'd love to get that. And they'll, they'll get it right in your hands love to get that in your hands and there's some other things in there to help you in your newfound relationship with Christ um, if you're here today and you're like Joe I've, I've been away I've been running I've been a prodigal hey guess what you can do the same thing today and so let me pray for pray for all of us wherever we're at and let's and I want to pray that we don't stop on the journey and so let me just pray this closing prayer of our message today God I thank you for every single person in this place God, we just lay our lives at your feet. And God, whether we, uh, whether we met you a long time ago or, or we're just meeting you for the first time today, God, I pray that all of us would continue to live in this state of surrender and saying, God, we wanna be born again today. God, your mercies are new every single day. God, we wanna, we wanna live in that new creation life that you started in us all those years ago. And so help us, God, to continually commit and recommit and just bring our lives into alignment with you and make the choice daily to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.